if you've ever been in a situation where you did not feel safe in one of those areas, I would pretty much guarantee that it shut you down and you're not open to working with someone, having a conversation with someone, or resolving a potential conflict. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Do you want to dump the drama, increase production, and lift morale? Do you want to have more engaged employees or members? How well do you handle conflict within your organization? Are you and your team having respectful communication with each other? Well, my guest is Lauren Schieffer, and she will address all these questions in our conversation today. Lauren is a daughter of an Air Force officer who grew up being uprooted and relocated every couple of years. This experience imbued her with profound independence and the ability to adapt to changing circumstances. Lessons she learned from the colonel have helped her make smart decisions and overcome adversity with humility and a sense of humor. Lauren has navigated just about every aspect of corporate America in her varied career. From trucking to achieving top-tier sales director status for a global direct sales cosmetics firm to managing a nonprofit foundation. In her speaking career, she has presented in seven countries, two associations, organizations, federal, state, local governments, and Fortune 500 companies to improve their communication effectiveness and reduce unnecessary conflict. Organizations and associations who hire Lauren find that their employees treat each other better, communicate more effectively and respectfully, spend less time dealing with drama and day-to-day dipsies, as she calls it, and have a more precise and unified focus on achieving the organization's desired outcomes. Lauren is a certified speaking professional through the National Speakers Association and the Global Speakers Federation. She is able to relate to and energize everyone from the custodial staff to the C-level executives. Lauren is a master storyteller delivering insight, inspirational, and relevant content that empowers people to absorb and act upon what they have heard. She does so in an entertaining manner with a dry sense of humor that keeps them chuckling while they're learning. Her enthusiasm is infectious and her passion is unmistakable. 
And I've had a firsthand experience of her infectious enthusiasm and her passion because being a member of the National Speaker Association, as well as a chapter president, working with Lauren as our liaison with the National Speakers Association National Office and developing a great friendship with her for over the years. Oh, by the way, she is also very passionate, and that might be an understatement, about those Kansas City Chiefs. Before we get to the interview, let's take care of a few housekeeping things. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders, a story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on-site at your location, or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Please subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend. I would greatly appreciate your support. Now, let's get to the interview with Lauren Schieffer. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Oh, man, I'm excited for my guest today. I've known her for a bit. She's a great lady. I met her through the National Speakers Association. She's inspiring. She's motivating. Great demeanor. Always very passionate, especially about our Kansas City Chiefs, but that's a whole <laughs> different story. So first and foremost, Lauren, thank you so very much for taking time out of your business today to spend some time with me on my podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. I am I am honored. I'm honored that you asked me. So let's start off the conversation. And I see the wonderful logo that you have in your office mm-hmm. with the colonels and the silhouette of the daughter, the mm-hmm. colonel's daughter. How did that come about? How did you how did you develop that? You know, you were the colonel's daughter, but into what you do and in, into your work. Well, it it came through the insight of of a dear friend when I was working on my personal branding, I've been quoting my father for my entire life. I am the colonel's daughter. My father was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force. And just about, just about everything that I teach and believe, I learned from him. And so I've been quoting him in all of my uh, professional life. And uh, when I was reworking my branding, she said, you know, you talk about respectful communication. Where'd you get that? And I said, oh, my dad. And then I quoted my dad and, and she says, okay, conflict management. Where'd you get that? And I said, oh, if you knew my father, dad took 
stood six feet, six and a half inches tall and was 285 pounds on his very leanest day. When the colonel lost his temper, people got hurt. So he had to find a better way to manage his temper and to manage conflict. He taught that to his daughters, and that's what I teach all over the globe. She goes, oh, so you learned that from your dad. Okay, And, and she, uh, she kept asking me the, the same question. And finally, she said, Lauren, what are you not seeing? <gasps> oh, I am the colonel's daughter. And that very day, I created that, that logo. And an interesting thing about it that, to me, I just love, is it was very popular in the late 1950s, early 1960s for people to do um, pictures that were silhouettes of their children. You know, uh, sometimes in balsa wood or sometimes in little rocks or whatever, but it was a, a black silhouette of your your child. That is actually a silhouette of me. Oh, that I, I got that from my mother's silhouette, so... Well, you're going to have to send send me your logo so we can include it into the show notes and everything. So those who are just listening to the podcast, they can go and see this wonderful logo that you created. I will be happy to do that. You you said something that, that jumped into my ear because in the world of improv, we always talk about part of the baseline, the foundation is respect, having mm-hmm. respect for the other person. And you said respectful communication. What's the quote your father had as it relates to respectful communication? Um, so many times. Um, that I can hear it in in my head um, on a daily basis. Dad said, you don't have to respect everyone, Lauren Ann. You have no right to disrespect anyone, Lauren Ann. And that quote to me is the epitome. It defines the difference between respect for and respect to. I have met many people in my life. I've encountered, I've seen, I've observed many people in my life that for whatever reason, maybe it's their behaviors, maybe it's the words they choose, maybe it's um, our differing ethics. For whatever reason, I can in no way respect them. That doesn't mean that I don't make a daily choice to treat them with respect. That's the difference between respect for and respect to. Wow. I love that. And the thing that pops into my head is you've been you've been in corporate America, spent a lot of time there. I have too. And as times have evolved, it seems like there's more disrespect than respect. I agree. How do we communicate that? out or how do we have that impact to get people to buy into the fact that I don't have to like you, but at least I should have some type of respect for you. And to I, you, not for you. you. I was, that's right. To you. To you. To you. Uh, you know, boy, that's a bigger question than that's a bigger question than me because I sincerely believe that the the mass media that we that we um, consume on a daily basis um, is not going to do it for us. Social media is not going to do it for us because um, I believe to a very large extent that social media is uh, is part of the rise of the problem because people can hide behind social media. And, and, I, and I'm going to use the word we mm-hmm. 
uh, because we're all guilty of it. We will say things on social media that we would never say to someone's face. So I don't think that social media or mass media is the is the answer. The best that that I can do and that I have chosen to do is be on a one woman mission. You know me. You, you know. Yeah. It is my passion. Uh, which is why that I I've dug so deeply back into leadership development because if we can build a brand new generation of leaders that are focused on the significant leadership characteristics of integrity, honesty, empathy, compassion, and accountability. What will the next 50 years of the United States look like? Because if we let go of those essential components to leadership, we are lost. So we have to bring it back. And one mind at a time. I'm I'm doing my best one mind at a time. And then the other thing is that we as human beings have to make a decision to, if it's about the bottom line, then we have to make a decision to do business or not do business with people that maintain our um, value uh, of respect. Great so, point. Keep going. I mean, this is... Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, what I mean by that is if I have um, seen someone uh, that is uh, the head of a company or the the figurehead of a company, here in uh, Kansas City, for instance, there is a, a particular business person that um, made a run for uh, Senate in 2020. And he's always kind of been viewed as kind of a a jovial kind of guy in his commercials and his company is named after him. And, um, and in his Senate commercials, um, he was um, disparaging and disrespectful to half of the electoral base. Mm -hmm. And, I and and since I happen to be on that half of the electoral base, but I don't think it would have mattered. I can now choose to never do business with his company because it's if it speaks to who he is as a human being, then it speaks to the 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 values that his uh, company maintains. So we we can drive that with our consumer decisions as as well. We have to come back to a point where we are treating each other with respect. Amen. Amen. You know, I, I tell a story. My my neighbor and I don't get along. We've tried. It just it just doesn't work. There's, there's people in our lives like that. That that's fine. But I do have respect for him. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a breadwinner. He's got a job. He's out to humping it just like the rest of us. I don't have a sign in front of my yard that says my neighbor's an idiot. Mm-hmm. And jokingly, I say he took his down three weeks ago. <laughs> but, but but there's ne- but there's never been that. We know we don't get along, but we do have respect for each other. I mean, I was having some issues at the house that I didn't know about. He came, knocked on the door, said, "You might want to check. You got some. You might gonna have some water problems." Mm-hmm. And I, you know, his dog was missing. So I'm looking for his dog, but we're not going out for a beer. Right. We're, we're, he's not coming over. But it's that level of respect and and. 
I don't know. I, I, I think it's, I, I thought it was easy to maintain within an organization, within a community, but I find it harder and harder because we get stuck on agendas. We get stuck in positions. Mm-hmm. Like when you negotiate a position, uh, I, I'm not moving from this position, but as the podcast is titled, well, let's start changing our mindset and look, and you said the E word, empathy. Empathy. There's a book, Humans Are Underrated, by Jeffrey Colvin, who I believe was the managing editor at Fortune Magazine. And he's talking about technology and how technology is advancing, artificial intelligence, Watson. But he gets to a point that because of technology and because of the the world that we live in now, the characteristics that leaders need more than anything is empathy. Mm -hmm. I am a firm believer that the bottom line measurables of reduced attrition, increased productivity, increased profitability will all take care of themselves. If you drive the high-end leadership characteristics of integrity and empathy and accountability with compassion and creating working environments where all employees feel valued and heard. I'm a firm believer in that. And this is what he said in his book. You know who are going to make the best leaders as we move forward? It's not men. It's women. (laughs) <laughs> and those who believe in improv, <laughs> that's my extra <laughs> add in there. But because of those characteristics, and yes, empathy, we have to, you know, and, and I've, you know, everybody's got, you know, putting yourself in their shoes. I don't think empathy is that. It's understanding how that person is in their own shoes. I can't put myself in some other folks' shoes because I've never been a part of it. But if I have the ability to listen to them and understand their plight, and empathize with them. I think that's a higher form of em- empathy that we need. I I agree. Um, and there are thousands of, of gurus who will each give you their, their own take on what empathy actually is. It's very possible that, that I have, I, I can't put myself in your shoes if I've never experienced what you're experiencing. Right. But chances are pretty good I've experienced something close to what you're experiencing. In a, in a different environment. And if I can put myself there and most importantly, give you space to feel and experience what you're feeling. And I think that that is, and I'm not, I'm not playing men uh, 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 against women. It is in generalities. It is more of a feminine communication characteristic to listen for the whole message. And it is more of a masculine communication characteristic in general mm-hmm. to get to a point where I have devised a solution in my brain and then give you that solution. Men are solution finders. Women tend to wait until they have the whole picture to devise the solution. And I think that 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 plays better in a leadership role. But that doesn't mean that men can't learn that. And that also doesn't mean that 
women can't um, learn the skill of hearing the dot points and creating a solution. Mm-hmm. Both have their benefits. A- absolutely. Uh, and it's recognizing those deficiencies, accepting them, and trying to employ them, try to learn them, try to understand them, try to apply them in our leadership skills. Mm-hmm. Instead yeah. of this, this is the, I hear the, I already hear the nails on the blackboard. This is the way I've always done it. This is the way it was taught to me back in 1970. This is 2020. We don't, we don't manage, we don't lead in the same way as we did then. Mm-hmm. But we still have leaders who do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my husband is also really, really good. He's, he's really good at that. He is, uh, he's really good at working with his team to define what the end product needs to be and what the deadline for that end product is. And then having faith in them to get that done. He really doesn't care how they get it done. So long as they get it done, he doesn't micro, he doesn't micromanage anything. And I, I think there's, there's benefit in that. And it's, I, I say that because I'm a little bit of a control freak. Just, just, just well, a smidge. Well, that comes from being raised from the colonel. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> probably so. And and he is not. He's like, this is what we need and this is when we need it by. And um, I'm here if you have questions. Hmm. So. I, I have a uncle who is a retired colonel from the United States Air Force mm-hmm. with with four kids. Uh, and is my, my aunt. And there's a little bit of control issues there, but that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> at least at least I recognize it in myself. Yeah. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's fun to. I I I have some of those control issues too. I was raised, my father was in the military as well, so I, I do have some of those, and I recognize those, and I go, uh oh, let's not get overly controlled, or let's find a different solution to the challenge mm-hmm. that might be out there. Um, I, I in, in preparation for this, you sent me your bio, and I love. The part in your bio where you start off by asking a few questions, and I love the. How do you dump the drama and increase production? There's so much drama in the day-to-day workforce that it seems to be, or those people who create their own drama, drive drama, disrupt with drama. How do you? How do you? As a leader, how do you deal with that if someone's on your team? Or within your peer group, they're the just they just love to fester and create this noise. Well, I think first and foremost, the bottom line is, uh, um, whenever possible, prevention. I often say that the best time to overcome a conflict is before it comes up. If we are creating workspaces, working environments that don't lend themselves to drama. And that that speaks to another one of my core tenets. Our goal as leaders, our goal as communicators, our goal as conflict managers 
is threefold. First, all people feel safe and treated with respect in my presence. Now, by safe, I mean physically safe, of course, but also intellectually safe and emotionally safe. If you've ever been in a situation where you did not feel safe in one of those areas, I would pretty much guarantee that it shut you down and you're not open to uh, working with someone, having a conversation with someone, or resolving a potential conflict. So unless I feel physically, intellectually, and emotionally safe in your presence, I'm not working with you. I may be working side by side with you, but I'm not working with you. The other aspect of that is treated with respect, and we've discussed that. If um, if you've ever been disrespected, that memory never goes away. It's it's like the 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 fellow here, the businessman here in Kansas City, who disrespected me without even knowing me in his television commercials. That memory is never going to go away and I'm never going to do business with him. So all people feel safe and treated with respect in my presence. Secondly, the second part is I stand my own ground. And third, I get my message across. Now that's a little backward actually from the way most people who train on communication and conflict management um, look at things. Most of my well-beloved and respected colleagues will tell you that the most important thing is to be clear to be understood. Well, I know a whole lot of people that are very clear in their communication and they leave dead bodies behind them as they do business. That's why I have to approach it from the other direction. I'm not willing to compromise on any of those three. They have to come in that order. So if we can utilize that as a base point for creating uh, working environments, then we can go a long ways in preventing drama. Uh, secondly, and this is not something that, that uh, not a specific question that I have um, prepared for, so I'm shooting from the hip here. But secondly, we have to look at what, what we're looking for, what we as leaders are looking for and what our team members are looking for. Um, and ask ourselves, am I looking to be right or am I looking for a right result? And those are those are two different, very different directions. You were talking about position. This is my position. That's a positional communication as compared to a principled communication. If I'm looking, if I set aside the need to be right, because I am looking for a right result, and furthermore, the right result happens, does it matter who was right? I mean, now only you can decide that on any given given moment. That's about picking your battles. That's a whole nother conversation for us. Mm -hmm. um, but a really um, reflection. And as a leader, if I have a member of my team who is consistently creating drama, then I might structure a conversation with them asking ab about their motivations and what's important to them and what matters to them. And how can I Feed them what matters to them in a manner that doesn't create drama. I don't know if you're familiar with, there's a, a Dr. Stephen Cartman came up with something that um, is called the drama triangle. Mm. 
most people that that um, train on conflict management and resolution are familiar with the the drama triangle. And there are three key players. You have the persecutor, you have the victim, and you have the rescuer. And an interesting thing about that, the, the, the persecutor says, I'm right, you're wrong, deal with it. Okay. I'm okay, you are not okay. The victim feeds on not being okay. They say, you're right, I'm wrong. You're okay, I'm not okay. And the rescuer, their message is, I'm okay. And you would be okay, honey, if you just did what I told, tell you to do. This is how you fix it. This is how I'm going to fix it for you. And they feed off of the perceived accolades of having jumped in and saved the situation. But the interesting thing about those three mm-hmm. is that each of them needs the other. A per- persecutor has to have a victim. Right. A victim has to have a persecutor mm-hmm. and is always looking for a rescuer. And the persecutor needs the rescuer for camaraderie. Can you believe how not okay this victim is? And the rescuer has to have a victim to save and has to have a persecutor to create the victim that they have to have to save. Which means that if any one person walks away from the behavior that is creating the drama triangle, the whole thing collapses. Interesting. And the reason that I bring that up is because if we can have a conversation, if we've identified the, the, the person on our team where all this drama is centering around, and if we can have a conversation, I mean, not as nuts and bolts as, as we just dis- right. discussed. It's a, it's a um, well-crafted conversation to find out what they're getting, what in the drama is feeding them. Yeah. How do we feed that in a different manner which pull, which could potentially pull them away from the drama triangle, and suddenly the whole thing collapses, and there's air in the office again. But that's the job of a leader, right? I, I'm, I'm going to have to look up his work because I'm fascinated by the drama triangle and, and what mm-hmm. you just described. It, but it also takes me down a, another path. There are folks who are self-proclaimed conflict avoidant, mm-hmm. but they are in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have worked with many of them. I have consulted with many of them. How do you get them to accept the fact that cl- conflict is there? Don't avoid it. Get in front of it. Not wait till it's too late. Well, part of conflict avoidance is a victim behavior. But the primary factor... Uh, I've discovered in my experience in um, doing consulting, the primary factor in a conflict avoidance is, oh my gosh, what if somebody doesn't like me? Okay. And there's a difference between being liked and being respected. Mm -hmm. And if we can build a a, a level of self-esteem you know, you and I have talked about my two pillars of serenity and success. You have your left pillar is your own self-esteem and your right pillar is um, a daily choice to treat all people with respect. Um, it's that self-esteem factor that's missing in most people who are conflict avoidant. Now, I'm not talking, I'm not saying that it's normal and natural to run and race into conflict, but if it's there and you don't deal with it, it builds and it grows and it festers like a boil. So it has to be dealt with. And 
the avoidance shows a lack of self-esteem. So we work on building the self-esteem so they understand that if for a moment in time someone doesn't like me, it doesn't change my value as a human being and could potentially build stronger respect to me in their eyes. Interesting, because this is something that, that happened in my career at one point in time. I was, I was working in public accounting. I'd been out of it for a number of years, came back and was working. And, and I was, um, <laughs> I was not there technically. I was technically incompetent. I'll put it to you that way. However, I could communicate and that they would want to put me out in front of clients. <laughs> but it got to the point that I was so technically incompetent, people wouldn't even look at me because they thought stupid would jump off of me and onto them. <gasps> and, and I mean, I, I'm in my, late 30s, early 40s, and I'm, and I'm watching, I can see the dynamics playing out, but the person I reported to would never say anything to me about it. So I walked into the office, closed the door, and I said, we have to have this conversation. I see what's going on. If you want to fire me, fire me now. But it wasn't really my room to, to push that conversation, but I know that things are being said behind the back, and maybe he'll just go away. And, and, and unfortunately, in, in, in the world of public accounting, what I grew up in, and I still believe it exists there today, that's kind of that same mentality as relates to conflict avoidance. Maybe it's that, that I don't, they're not going to like me or I don't, want, I don't like to hurt people. But it's, it's not standing up and saying, let's just have this conversation, address the issue, we're all adults here, and then come up to a solution. See, and so many things went through my mind when you were discussing that scenario. The first of which was, in a situation where you recognize that you were technically incompetent, then it is your responsibility to shore that weakness up in yourself. My second thought was to have the chutzpah to, to walk into your, your boss's office and say, look, you see it, I see it. I, I don't know why you haven't addressed it. But to me, the biggest thing is a lack of leadership. If, if he, someone is recognizing that that there is a technical incompetency to then put together a development plan and say, these are the areas of technical competency that I would like to see you grow in and by this time. So much to unpack just in that scenario. <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I know. it's it. I, I, I look back on it and the person I reported to, I, I believe recognized it. And wanted to do exactly what you said, put together a plan. Mm -hmm. However, the conflict had gone on for a while that most people in the office, in leadership, wanted to put together a plan. But those in the powers to be didn't want to. I was dead to them, I guess, is another way of putting it. Which is, which is fine. And, and, and I, I, I left. And I have no animosity. It's a great story. I, I learned a lot. I still communicate with a bunch of people within and even some degree, even to the person I used to report to, because I do have re respect, but those little situations occur in, in a lot of different environments, not just in public accounting, but there's those, and it just doesn't, it, it, just tell me, I, I know I, I'm trying to get that, that knowledge, but it's during, let's just say it's tax season. 
And there's, yeah. not a lot, there's not a lot of time to learn when, when you've been thrown into the fire. So that's where we're going to work on the development. But it's, I know that's not a unique thing that happens out there. And I, I love the way you laid it out in those three pieces. It's, it's not unique. I had a, a consulting client that I walked away from. I, I quit. I, I quit the contract. <sighs> Probably in 2019, you know, 2020 is a uh, 2020 is a blur. So it was 2019, <laughs> and I had spent uh, a year with their supervisors once a month, and then I had um, that had caused me to recognize that the the challenge was in the executive team and their inability to hold themselves accountable for what they expect. And therefore, you can't hold the supervisors accountable for what you expect of them. And therefore the supervisors can't hold their individual contributors accountable. So I put a year in working with the executive team Mm -hmm. and that brought me to the realization that the real crux of the rot um, was the executive director. So I put together uh, a development plan for the executive director and I spent six months watching him refuse to do it and communicating with the board of directors once a month and then recognizing the board of directors unwillingness to make a change at that level. And I laid out for the board exactly what I thought the dangers of continuing with the status quo would be for their organization. Mm -hmm. And they were unwilling to make a change. And I was frustrated enough to walk away from the last 20,000 of that contract. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to the chairman of the board, I said, I've come to the realization that all the members of your executive team would walk over my dead body to maintain the status quo. Therefore, it's not the best use of your $20,000. You need to invest it elsewhere. But, you know, if it doesn't, it, I, I believe everything starts at the top. Oh, everything. Yes. Everything starts at the top. So, again, that goes back to principled or positional. So, if, as you're describing that story and a few others, one word keeps popping up into my head. Three-letter word. Ego. Oh, well, in that situation, honest to goodness, it wasn't ego. Oh. Um, with, with that particular executive um, director, it was a lack of self-esteem. Okay. It was a terror down to his toes that someone wouldn't like him or that he would make someone mad and he would have to deal with that. There was no ego there there at all. Because That's- every time we sat down together, I would I would lay out what had happened over the last month, and he'd be like, "Yeah, I know, I didn't handle that well. Yeah, I know, I should I should have done it different." And and it no, there was no ego there at all. Wow. So I- it's not always ego. A lot of it is. Yes, a lot of it is. But that- a lot of it is across the corporate board. We can we can say that. Yeah, but I don't know. You're talking about a leader of an organization. And the lack of self-esteem is very contradictory within itself and how somebody would get to that role 
I'll ask this one question. Was it a family business? It was a very small town. It was not a family business. He had been with the organization for 38 years mm-hmm. and was very close to retirement. And I think that was the issue. I think that the board was unwilling to shake it up so close to his retirement. Yeah, okay. I, I think that was, was the issue. So I, I decided that I, I've, I've never been one to show up once a month just to collect a paycheck, right. knowing that I am not having an effect and I'm not moving the need, needle. It's just not in my nature. So I told him it wasn't the best use of their money. And I bet you they appreciated the honesty and in, in, in that comment to them. I, and I know the CFO really appreciated it because it's an extra 20 that can get right to check on. Yeah. But, but they had to, I mean, they had to take a, they, they viewed you, I, I'm making this assumption, they viewed you in a different light when you did that from what they've been viewing you. Because they, you know, a consultant doesn't want to take this, is going to stop the contract early. That's the colonel's daughter. See, but... Shouldn't that be a baseline for all consulting? Oh, it should be a baseline for all consulting. You know, if you're if you're not getting a, a, a measurable improvement, if you're not moving the needle mm-hmm. uh, a, a, at all, then you're not worth being paid. Right, and you should recognize that and 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 walk away. It wasn't a good fit. It wasn't. It doesn't make you a bad consultant or the client i mean i love the people that i worked with i they they work they work really they're in healthcare and they work really really hard but i i wasn't i wasn't the right fit for them maybe 5 years from now after they have new leadership in there they'll they'll come back and ask but um but uh, i think that should be a measure of all consultants if you recognize that you're not having a, a positive effect just showing up for a paycheck is unethical. I I, I believe that's just that. I I, I, I was I, I was I was thinking the same thing, and, and really not having respect for your client. Mm-hmm. I'm just yeah. here for I'm just here for the paycheck. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I just have to say this: we could turn this into a three or four podcast series. I mean, th- this has been some wonderful conversation. It, it, it has opened my eyes on, on, a, on a lot of things and, and getting to hear it one-on-one because we've talked over the years, mm-hmm. but never to this degree. And, and I'm so, my eyes are you know, wide, open wide and, 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 and love the stuff that you do. So as, you. We, as we wrap this up and those who are listening, What's the one big takeaway from what you've discussed that they should apply every single day? If you could wake up based on what we've dis- based on what we've discussed. Mm-hmm. If you could wake up every day and solidify two things for yourself before you start the day. The first is I have value because I exist and are therefore worthy of merit. And secondly, I make a choice today to treat all people with respect. Whether or not I like what they think, say, or do, I choose to treat them with respect. And doing so does not in any way diminish my value as a human being. Indeed, 
it solidifies it. If we could stand on that platform as we start every day in every exchange that we have with other human beings, what change would that have on America in general? Not just your business, mm-hmm. but on America in general. That that would be the the overarching takeaway I would want. We are going to do something with that, and I, when I say that, we, we provide we'll be providing some social graphics to help promote. But we're, we're going to use some of that in, in those social graphics uh, because that those are great takeaways that we all can employ. I have a graphic for my two pillars of serenity and success. I'll send it to you. Okay, please do, and we'll we'll, we'll add that to it as well. Okay. Um, I can't thank you enough. I, I love this conversation. I. I Looking forward to when this comes out in a couple weeks. How can people find you? Well, my website is laurenschiefer.com, L-A-U-R-E-N-S-C-H-I-E-F-F-E-R.com. That's the best way to find me. Okay. I have a couple of of three books on Amazon. Um, If they want to reach out to me uh, individually, it's very easy. It's Lauren at laurenschiefer.com. That's the best way to, to get in touch with me. And I would love to come back and talk about significance if you want to do that at some time. You had me at I'll come back again. Oh, great. I'd love to come back again. This <laughs> is so much fun. And I, and I, will make, I will make a note on it, significance. Difference between success and significance. Perfect. Well, we'll when we finish, don't go away, we'll finish. We'll... Uh, We'll we'll look at the calendar and and get you back on for that one. That would be fabulous. Well, thank you so very much. I've enjoyed the conversation. I know my audience will. And I look forward to the day that I can see you and not behind a computer screen, which is hopefully sooner than later. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. I can't thank Lauren enough for sharing her stories and wisdom related to respectful communication and conflict management. Great takeaways. She provided us all with a number of takeaways throughout the interview, as well as two specific ones at the end. If you've enjoyed today's podcast episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And remember to subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend. I will conclude with an improv quote that is fitting for this interview. Each of us is unique. And if we don't respect that uniqueness, if we don't allow that to which we are to surface, then the world doesn't have it. And I'll leave you with this. Stay positive and test negative. Thank you. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.